Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. Well, hey, Paradigm, I'm so excited that I get to be with you this week. I'm Pastor Phil. For those that I haven't met, hope I get to very, very soon. I lead Abundant Life as the lead pastor, of which Paradigm is our young adult ministry. A lot of you don't know me. Uh, Many years ago, long before I knew I'd be in ministry, never thought I'd be a pastor or a preacher. I was actually a police officer with KCPD back in the 90s. I'll never forget one night, I'm brand new on the street, I'm finally off break-in, I'm on my own, and I'm patrolling by myself, the training wheels are gone, and I pull this car over, and uh, I have a hunch that this car's got some, maybe uh, some, some bad guys in it, right? And I pull this car over, can't remember why for sure, and it's dark, and it's late at night, but as soon as I hit my lights, and they pull over, the passenger bolts from the car, takes off running, into the night. And I start to get out and chase him, but I realize he's too far gone. I'll never catch him. Uh, It's too much of a head start. So I just, I gave up on him and I just stayed with the car. And so I go up to the car and I get the driver out and I put him in handcuffs. And then I run the driver's name through our radio. And he comes back with like a rap sheet of uh, a dozen warrants. And one of them was a felony warrant for armed robbery. This was like a big win, a big trophy, right? I caught the big one. And uh, the rest of the night, all the guys were like, oh, Phil, man, good work. That was awesome. How did you know? How did you know which one? How did you know to stay with the car? Well, the truth is, I'm like, I didn't know. Like, I kind of got lucky because I was going to chase that guy, but couldn't catch him. So I stayed with this guy. And then I realized something that night. I learned something very valuable about being streetwise, all right? You never chase the decoy. There's always a decoy. And the guy that ran was the decoy. Had I run after him, the real bad guy would have kept right on going, never seen him again. And I learned that night, you don't chase the decoy. And you understand that you have an opposition. You have an enemy in your life, the one you cannot see, and he will always give you a decoy. He wants to decoy you, so you go running after the decoy and running away from the truth. And that is why John gives us the book of 1 John. John is now a very aged man. This great apostle is the last of the apostles. He's still alive. He's somewhere in his 90s as he's writing the book of 1 John. And kind of with that aged wisdom of a grandfather, he's wanting to give us some grandfatherly advice about how to know we really are a Christian. What is a Christian and what are Christians? Because the reality is this, never forget that Satan is a master at decoy. He's a master counterfeiter. He counterfeits truth, he counterfeits reality, he counterfeits religion, he counterfeits God. He counterfeits all that God is and all that God does. And that is why he writes here the book of 1 John. Because we live in a place of counterfeits. We live in an age of counterfeits. I'll never forget many years ago being on a mission trip to Mexico. And one of the guys that was on this trip, as we went through this Mexican market, uh, we come to this little booth Uh, where there is this Nike apparel, and he's got this Nike hat, and he points to the one he wants. And the guy running the booth nods, he goes to the back, and he brings out a hat, and he exchanges the money with him and puts on his hat. 
that he has just bought. And a few minutes later, I looked at it. It didn't say Nike. It said Mikey. Uh, he bought a counterfeit. The next day, I'm back in that same market. I come to a booth, and they're selling Ray-Ban sunglasses for $10. And I look at this guy and say, is, are these real Ray-Bans? And his broken English, he says, no, you can't buy Ray-Bans for $10. So I bought them anyway. At least the guy told the truth. Here, here's the reality. It's one thing to make a mistake on a counterfeit Nike hat or counterfeit Ray-Bans. But what about your soul? What about your destiny eternally? There's some things you just can't chance on being wrong about. And that is why John gives us the book of 1 John. Because he wants us to do a little introspection. Uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself, whether you be reprobate. In other words, he's saying do some self-examination. Do a little introspection. Do I really know that I'm a Christian? Do I really know that my destination is heaven? And so that's why he gives us the metric system. And that's what 1 John is. It's a metric system of what it means to be a Christian. And uh, one of the things we've learned is Chad has done a marvelous job really going through this book of 1 John. We've learned one of the metrics of a true Christian is this unconditional, divine kind of love. Not the worldly kind of love. That has to be earned based on performance. But God's love is unconditional. That's why last week uh, we, we had this moment of racial reconciliation. The church should be leading the way, teaching the world how to be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. This love of God that breaks down all barriers. The love of God breaks down all the cultural norms and all the walls that people have built around themselves. That's the love of God that has the power to change your life. And that's the love of God that has the power to change our world. And that's one of the metrics that John gives us of whether or not we're truly a Christian. This love for others that aren't like us. It's easy to love those that are like us. But then we're going to pick it up right here in chapter 3 and verse 24, where we left off a week ago. It says this, uh, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. So it's one of the metrics that John is giving us here of a Christian. It's somebody who keeps his commandments. You see, it's completely incompatible to say, I'm going to habitually, willfully live in sin and still say that I really belong to him. It's completely incompatible, inconceivable picture, a holy God being followed by a band of unholy followers. And so uh, John gives us a little bit of the metric system here. Do I keep his commandments? Now listen, there's not one among us that keeps his commandments perfectly. That's why God has given us grace and we are saved by the grace of God, not something that we earn by being good. Remember what it said in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the metric is not, have you reached a point where you're sinless? Because you won't be this side of heaven. That the metric he's talking about is that even when I sin, I really, really want to please him. See, I don't worry about people's salvation when they tell me, Pastor Phil, I'm struggling with sin. Of course you are. That makes you human. The people I struggle with and the people I really worry about in terms of their salvation are not the ones who say, I'm a Christian and I struggle with sin. It's the ones who say, I'm a Christian and I sin, but there's no struggle. See, there's a difference between struggling with sin and struggling against temptation as those who just roll in it, revel in it, and live in it. 
And what John is saying, if that is you, you need to have a little self-examination because you might not be a Christian. He says, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. He says, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I'm going to tell you something. When I sin, the spirit of God within me convicts me immediately. That's what the spirit of truth living within you does. Uh, you may sin, but you can't win if you're a Christian. You may have a blast, but it will not last. The Spirit of God is going to convict me, and he always does instantly when I sin. So I repent, and I confess it, and I come back quickly uh, to him. Now, in chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, here's what John does. He turns the metric away from us, and am I a Christian? And he turns that metric now to teachers or preachers who say, that they're teaching true Christian doctrine. All right, so we're going to learn here to test the spirits. Behind every single teacher, there is a spirit controlling him. At this very moment, as I share with you the word of God, the spirit of God is controlling me. And there's a way you know if somebody who says they're teaching the word of God is truly under the control of the spirit of God. And never forget, any of us can be under the control of the spirit of God one moment, and a demonic spirit another moment. Matthew 16, Peter's a perfect example. He confesses Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And here's Jesus quickly commends him in this conversation, giving him a high five. Way to go, Pete. Flesh and blood has not shown this to you, but my Father in heaven. See, at that moment, the Spirit of God showed Peter that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. But within just a few moments... Peter, the same Peter, is telling Jesus, you can't go to the cross. You can't die. You're the Messiah. And check it out. Jesus looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. See, at that moment, Peter was no longer in control of the Spirit of God. A demonic spirit, a satanic spirit was controlling him. And that is why we see here in 1 John 4.1, look at what it says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Hey, I'm convinced we live at a time of church history where there are more false teachers, more false prophets, more false preachers maybe than any time in church history. And it began immediately, the moment the church was born. Listen, Satan has always known the biggest threat to the church is not the outside. The biggest threat to the church is the inside. What Satan could not do through outward persecution, he's done over and over again through inner erosion, deception, and distortion. It's false preachers, false teachers that come to the inside, not the outside. They're on the inside, and they're teaching false theology, heresy. And that began in the early days of Christianity. 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. There's still that same... Uh, modus operandi of the enemy as it comes to stopping the church, false teachers that are under the control of a demonic spirit, a false spirit. And so John tells us to test the spirits. In the early days of Christianity, John and the other apostles were battling Gnosticism. And that is why John writes here in 1 John chapter 4 specifically, he was dealing with the Gnostic teachers who taught that Jesus was fully God, but he was not fully a man. And Gnosticism was an early Christian cult, a heresy that was a deep threat to early Christianity. It lasted almost 300 years before it finally died off. But here's what Satan does. He goes from one lie to another lie, one distortion to another deception, another distortion. He wants to create a counterfeit reality 
which is not reality. It's a counterfeit reality. That's what the Gnostic teachers had done. They created a counterfeit reality that was almost right, but not quite right. Jesus is a God, but he's not man. No, one of the tenets of the historic Christian faith is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And it's essential that we have the right Jesus. There are many wrong Jesuses being taught in the world, wrong false gospels. And it's crucial, John says, that we have the right Jesus, because if you don't have the right Jesus, you've got the wrong gospel. And so he tells us here to test the Spirit. So there's a way to test anyone who says they're teaching the Word of God to know whether or not they're being controlled by the Spirit of God. And it's crucial that we do. We're to test the spirits, listen carefully, because all truth comes from either a divine source or a demonic source. Everything you hear comes from either a divine source or a demonic source, and Satan is always counterfeiting the truth. He's always trying to counterfeit what God is and what God does. Even now, we're in the middle of this pandemic. Think about it. Every time you turn on the news, there's something new you're being told. Well, that's not true. This is true. And what they said last week, they've decided isn't true, and there's something else. Well, is there a vaccine that's going to be ready? Is there not a vaccine that's going to be ready? Can you catch this virus, you know, if you're six feet away, or do you have to be eight feet away? You see, you hear everything in the middle of what we're going through even now, and you're not really sure what is true. Now, listen carefully. Think about if it's theology. Think about it. It has to do your eternal destiny. It is crucial that we get to the truth, that we know God's identity, not a distortion of that reality. It's essential. Uh, This is why Paul said to Timothy almost something similar, almost exactly like what John says in 1 John 4.1. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.1. He says this, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. I don't know what you think of the devil. I don't know what you think of demons, but listen carefully. Jesus, when he talked about the devil, he was talking about more than just a symbol of evil. All right, Jesus taught about the devil. He talked to the devil. He was tempted by the devil. And let me tell you something. Jesus took him seriously. The devil is more than just a dark force in the universe or just some symbol of evil or some, you know, figment of religious people's imagination. He's a real person. He's the enemy of God who poses as God. And that's why it's crucial we test the spirits. And that's why Paul says, hey, some will depart from the faith giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrine is simply teaching. There is the teaching of the Spirit of God made known through the Word of God, and then there is the teaching of satanic spirits who want to distort the truth. And the number one thing they want to distort is who is Jesus? Who is God? How does one get to heaven? How can you define your destination? There is religion and there is redemption, and they are not the same thing. And that's why it's crucial we learn to test the spirits. Otherwise, we'll be easily led astray. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. He's saying, look, look, we, we don't have to be taken advantage of by the devil, by the demonic deceiving spirits, because we're not ignorant of his devices. We know his M.O. 
We know his motives. The very same way he deceived Eve in Genesis 3 is the very same way he attempts to deceive you and me in the 21st century. He always attacks through lies. Jesus said he's a liar and the father of lies. When he speaks, he speaks not the truth because the truth is not in him. Now, the most dangerous lie is not the obvious lie. The most dangerous lie is the subtle lie. In Genesis 3.1, the serpent was more subtle or cunning than any beast of the field. And so Satan is very cunning in his lies. He knows you're not going to believe just anything. For a lot of us here, not all of us, but for a lot of us here, you're not going to believe the lie. There is no God. Now, what he wants to do for you, because you already believe there is a God, is redefine who is God, who is the Son of God, to get you to believe in a false God instead of the true and living God. And that's why it's crucial we learn to test the spirits. We must know the truth so thoroughly that we can spot error instantly. And this is how you do it. You, 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 don't, you don't become streetwise and no longer follow the decoy and chase the decoy by studying the lies. You need to have a kind of a working idea of what do Mormons believe or what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe or what does this group believe. But the way you become streetwise spiritually is not by studying the lie. It's by studying the truth. You are so familiar with the truth that you can instantly spot the lie. I want to give you a real example of what I'm talking about here. So a lot of people in the last maybe 12 months, 18 months have asked me specifically about Bethel, uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, which so much modern Christian worship has come from. And we, we've all sang the songs. And, and uh, what is Bethel? Bill Johnson, the pastor, what do they believe? And I had never really thought much about it. Most of what I'd heard was, no, I didn't really disagree with it. So I recently began studying Bethel. Turns out, watch this, they're a part of what is called the New Apostolic Reformation, or NAR for short, NAR theology. Unlike the Gnostics of the first century who taught Jesus was fully God but not a man, NAR theology is a modern-day heresy, and what they teach is that while on the earth, Jesus was fully a man, but not fully God. So I'm reading Bill Johnson's book, and this is kind of the modus operandi of a false teacher. There's so much in here that is so good. I mean, it's so awesome. Like 95% of it is really good biblical sound theology. But now listen carefully. I want you to see the subtlety. And I want you to see why this matters. Page 29 of his book, When Heaven Invades Earth. Listen carefully. See if you can spot the heresy. While he is, Jesus, 100% God. Yeah, we all agree. He's 100% God. Listen carefully. While he is 100% God, there's the truth. Now here comes the lie. He performed miracles, wonders, and signs as a man in a right relationship with God. Wait a minute, huh? He's 100% God, but he performed miracles, signs, and wonders as a man in a right relationship with God. Now, wait a minute. Jesus did not do miracles because he was a man in a right relationship with God. He did miracles because he was God who came as a man. You see, Jesus didn't do miracles 
because he was merely a man in a right relationship with God to show us how we too, as men and women, if we're finally in a right relationship with God, can do miracles too. No, Jesus did miracles to prove that he was the Messiah, to prove that he was more than merely a man. But see, nor theology promotes humanity and demotes his deity. And that is heresy. And I want you to see the subtlety of the lies of the 21st century. When I say false teachers are probably more common in the church than they have ever been in 2,000 years, I'm convinced more and more people are being led astray because they have never become streetwise spiritually. We're so quick to follow the decoy that Satan gives us. It says this in Ephesians 4 and verse 14, Be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful plotting. What Paul's saying is he wants us to grow up spiritually, to grow to maturity. Don't be so gullible and naive spiritually that you're willing to follow the decoy. Uh, Think about it. What's he talking about? You can tell a child, you can tell a two-year-old, the moon is made of cheese. And guess what a little two-year-old's going to believe? The moon's made of cheese. Why? Because he's naive. Here's what happens if you're a child spiritually. You're easily deceived. Paul says it's time to grow up and uh, not be so easily led astray by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness and the trickery and deceitful plotting of men. Now listen carefully. Here's how you test the Spirit. Watch this. This is it. You know the work of the Spirit of God because it will never contradict the Word of God. The moment any teaching contradicts the Word of God, you know that it's not of the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not talking about the in-house debates theologically that Christians can have and have had for many, many years. I'm not really talking about, you know, Calvinism versus non-Calvinism and the nuances of the acronym TULIP. And, you know, I'm a three-point Calvinist and they're a four-point Calvinist, so they're a heretic and I'm not. Now, forget it. Now, listen, not everybody who disagrees with you is a heretic, okay? Uh, we, we can disagree as Christians and still walk in unity. Unity does not demand complete uniformity. We don't have to have a 50-point doctrinal thesis of which we all have to perfectly agree on all 50 points. But on the tenets of the historic Christian faith, specifically, who is Jesus? That is one we have to agree. We can't get wrong. He was fully God and fully man. The Gnostics said, no, he wasn't a man, he was God. They deny one of the fundamental tenets of the incarnation, the historic Christian faith. Nar theology of the 21st century says, well, he stopped being God when he left heaven and came to earth. And while he was on the earth, he was a man in a right relationship with God. No, if Jesus could stop being God, all that would prove is that he was never actually God. God can't stop being God. Hebrews 13, 5, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is why it's so crucial. This is what John is arguing for, that you begin to recognize a false teacher that is under control of a false spirit. He goes on. He gives you the metric for how to do this. Look at uh, verse 2. He says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. See, he's dealing here with that first century heresy of Gnosticism. It's very important 
that he points out Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He was a real person. He was a real man. He's dealing here specifically with Gnosticism. This is how you know Gnostics were not under the Spirit of God because they denied that Jesus as the Son of God was fully a man. He says, and this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the world. Yeah, there's a real political figure yet future. The Bible calls the Antichrist, who will oppose the true and living Christ. But what John is saying is the spirit of Antichrist is already here, has been for 2,000 years. It's that religious spirit that opposes one of the fundamental tendons of the historic Christian faith, that Jesus Christ is God, yet he came as a man, that 2,000 years ago the sinless Son of God came like the sons of men so that he could be our sacrificial lamb and die for our sin. And so he gives us the metric here in verses 2 and 3 of the spirit of Antichrist that is alive today in the 21st century, the false teaching of false spirits, specifically as it has to do with Christ's identity. Here are three, all right? Number one is this. False teachers deny Christ's humanity. This was the Gnostics, Gnosticism. They deny his humanity, and apart from Christ's humanity, he couldn't be our sacrifice. Why? Because it was the sin of a man that brought down the curse of sin for all men. Only the death of an innocent man could reverse the curse of sin for all men. Romans 5 and verse, uh, 7, verse 12. For as by one man's sin, that's Adam, death entered the world, so death passed on all men, for all have sinned. Just as it was Adam that passed the curse of sin upon all of his posterity. We were all in Adam. Adam is the father of us all. God told Adam, don't eat of that tree, and the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. You know the story, Genesis 3, Adam 8, and the rest is history. He passed that death sentence onto all of his posterity, all of humanity. And that is why, as a man, he brought down the curse of sin for all men and all women. Only the death of an innocent man could reverse the curse of sin for all men and all women. The problem is all men had sinned. Uh, nobody could be that sacrifice for sin because everyone was born under the penalty of sin. And what does that mean then? God himself had to become a man to become our sacrificial lamb. Where the Gnostics denied Christ's humanity, the modern-day NAR teachers, the New Apostolic Reformation, denies his deity. And I want you to see that apart from him being a man, he couldn't be our sacrifice. But apart from him being fully God, he can't be our Savior. You see, had Jesus been born as a man, he would have been like any other man and born with sin within. But because he was not born like any other man, though he came as a man, he did not have the capacity to sin. He only had one nature, that of his father in heaven, not of any father on the earth, which meant he was sinless. And because he was sinless, he could be our sacrifice. You see, if Jesus stopped being God for even one moment, he would have been disqualified from being our sacrifice for sin. But you see, this is where the modern heresy of Nartheology errs so deeply. They teach that he was a man on the cross, and he was cursed on the cross for our sin, and he had to go to hell to actually be born again. 
But do you understand that he could die for our sin as humanity? but he could not stay dead because he was deity, because he'd never sinned. He was not under sin's penalty. My friends, this is the good news in the middle of all this bad news that we're hearing. The good news is that God himself left heaven. He left eternity and he entered our world of tears and trials and pain and death to walk among us. And yes, we live in a world of pain and pandemics and the coronavirus and cancer, but Jesus has promised to one day come again and paradise lost is going to be paradise regained. But you see, false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist, it really runs in one of three categories. It either denies his humanity, denies his deity, or denies his supremacy. You see, they deny Christ's supremacy, and that has to do with his complete sufficiency. You see, if Jesus is not fully supreme, then his sacrifice is not fully sufficient, which means you've got to continue to work for your salvation. It's Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus I got to take communion. It's Jesus plus I got to be a good person. I want you to see that if Jesus is not supreme, then his sacrifice is not fully sufficient, which means you've still got to work your way into heaven. And my friends, listen carefully. That is the false gospel of false teachers. The reality is the true gospel, the good news, is that you couldn't get to heaven, so heaven came down to you, and his name was Jesus. You couldn't keep a list, not perfectly. So Jesus came and kept the list personally and perfectly, and he did it for you individually. You see, the good news is that we don't have to earn our way to heaven by the things that we do. Jesus has already done all the work for you. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness we have done, but by his mercy he has saved us. Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why as a Christian you can have peace with God, but check this out, even in the middle of a pandemic, you can have the peace of God. The peace of God because you're now at peace with God. Let me ask you, do you have the peace of God? You can today. You can have peace with God and you can have the peace of God by putting Jesus in your life and making him truly the center, the foundation, not just a part of your life, but the very center of your life. And this is what John now goes on to say in verse four. He says this, you are of God, little children. Here's the aged apostle. Here's the grandfatherly figure. He's looking at you and I saying, little children. He's communicating the heart of our Father in heaven. My sweet children, my little children. And this is what I know now that I'm the father of young adult children. <laughs> they never stop being your children. Doesn't matter how old they get. They never stop being your babies. You know, God looks at you with the affinity and the affection as a child. He wants to be your father. He, he says this, Beloved, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater 
than he who is in the world. He's saying, hey, the spirit of God in you is greater than that de demonic deceiving spirit that is in the world. You've overcome these false teachers because greater is you that is in you, the spirit of truth that is in you. And I might add, you can overcome cancer. You can overcome the pandemic and the panic that comes with a recession. You can overcome what is a pandemic of depression and the pandemic of anxiety in our society. I want you to see that you can live with a calm when you make Christ the very center of your life. He says, therefore, they speak as of the world and the world hears them. Yet we are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. Speaking of John and the other apostles, he says, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let me ask you, can you say with certainty that you know your destiny eternally? Hey, the number one thing you can do right where you sit, wherever you are tonight, is to turn to Jesus and make him the Lord and Savior of your life. Because here's the reality. There's a really, really good chance you're going to escape death by the coronavirus. There's a really good chance you're not going to get COVID-19. And if you do, there's a really good chance you're going to live. You're going to survive it. But check this out. You're guaranteed to die of something someday. And I am too. These bodies are under the curse of sin. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but that is not the end. Romans 6, 23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pray with me right now. I'm gonna ask you to do this. Close your eyes, just bow with me right now. If you're not sure right now, whether you're a Christian and your destination, whether your sins are forgiven right now can be that moment. Pray with me, this simple prayer of faith. Jesus, pray with me. Jesus, I know that I've sinned, that I cannot get to heaven apart from you. But I believe that you died for my sin and that you rose again. I confess you as Lord of my life, Savior of my soul, that you were fully God, fully man. And one day you are coming again. And right now I make you the foundation of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen very carefully. It is really important, your next step. You just took the first step, the most important step, but it's not the last step. I want you to do this right now. I want you to text RESPONSE to the number on your screen right now. There are people that want to come alongside you, want to help you take your next steps and begin growing as a Christian. You're in infancy spiritually. But remember, the goal is to grow up to maturity. We want to help you do that. And I'm so proud of Paradigm and what you're doing in our city and around the country, God is doing something marvelous and miraculous through the young adults of your generation. Uh, and even last week, as we prayed and sought racial reconciliation, you're leading the way. And a lot of things we have faced for many years as a nation, the gospel runs to the darkness and never runs away. So I want to pray right now that God would continue that work. Uh, would you bow with me and pray with me? Jesus, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth? In these days of deception and distortion and division, Lord, would you help each of us to be ambassadors of reconciliation? Lord, that we would put your love on display in a tangible way every day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God go with you.